You're listening to a podcast from Riverview Church in Bowness, recorded during one of our Sunday gatherings. For more information about Riverview Church, or service times, or contact details, go to riverviewchurch.uk or find us on Facebook at Riverview Bowness. Well, Today we're going to dive back into uh, the series around the the letter that Paul wrote to the church in uh, Philippi. And you remember a couple of weeks ago, if you were here, uh, that I really focused around this one phrase in Philippians 1 verse 6 that says, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Until Jesus returns, the one who has begun the good work is faithful to continue it and to complete it. And, And yes, I did say that that applied to you, like personally as a person who's received Jesus Christ into your life that completely applies to you individually that is true but you might remember in closing and if you've forgotten it's all on the uh, podcast I think so feel free to go back and, and, and dive into that but I said in closing that there's a little bit more to that verse before we move on into the next verses you know in a couple of weeks time we're going to get to verse 9 <laughs> it'd be amazing uh, I'm so excited about that You know, the reason there's more to this is because that this promise, hello mate, in context, I don't know where she is, (laughs) this promise in context is part of one thought that Paul is kind of outworking in these paragraphs. He's been developing one thought where the central theme is partnership. It's togetherness. It's about church. It's about community, about family. It's plural, okay? And because of that, because this is plural, I'm just going to do something slightly different today. I would like us together as a demonstration, as uh, our understanding of Paul's intention here and our unity and expression of our partnership together, I want us to read verses 1 to 3 together. It's going to come up on the screen so that we're all in the same version. But this is the word of God. Can we just stand for a second as we read this? Let's read together. I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart, and whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Amen. Take your seats. Thank you. So we've been looking at this as one thought. And and I said that it, it kind of revolves around partnership. Now, did you see how many times he used the word all? All of you. All of you. And so when he says, like, he who began a good work in you, it's still within that context. 
It's still all of you. And so within this one thought, we've been looking at the depth of Paul's affection and joy. Like, where did it come from? It came from their partnership. It comes from their partnership in the gospel. And so that told us the distinction of what partnership is. Because it is grounded, it's rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good news about who Jesus is and what he has done for us. The the distinction of partnership is it's something that is faithful and consistent and that is practically outworked. It's not just about turning up and smiling at each other once a week. There's a practicality to partnership that is outworked. The church has something to offer even in this day and age. You will hear people say the church is no longer relevant. Junk. What they're saying is rubbish. The church is more relevant now. In this society, not that it's ever been, because it's always been relevant. The gospel has always been relevant. The church has something more to offer than any club, than any social gathering, than any other structure in society. The church has more to offer. It is distinct from everything else and because of the gospel. And today we're going to finish up this section with a look at the dimensions and the durability of partnership, of what that means and what we're looking at. So remember, one thought. Let me just pick this out for you a little bit. I thank my God every time I remember you in all of my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. He's talking to all of you. Your partnership in the gospel. From the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you. Since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. No stragglers here. All of you. All of you. I want you to think of that right now. Think all of you. When you think of the church, don't just think within these walls and within this Sunday morning. All of you. Think about all of you. Craig Malin, St. Andrews, Old Cuck, every church in this town. All of you. All of you. Whether you annoy me, (laughs) whether you do things differently to me, I have affection and joy for all of you. All of you. From the outset of this letter, Paul has addressed this. He says, to all God's holy people, and he says, together with the overseers and deacons, he puts the church before the leadership. And so this wonderful promise in verse 6, it's not primarily to a person, but to a people. Primarily. The you is plural. Okay, now, in English, and I'm talking English English, like Queen's English, we don't really have the right kind of single word use here. We have the word you. Like, I'm glad Ron's here this morning because he would say, in America, and I don't know if it's the same in Canada, but definitely in America, they have y'all, which is like a pluralization. Actually, it's an abbreviation, you all, like y'all. So I could address y'all this morning. And actually, in Scottish English, you have use. 
I don't know how you'd abbreviate that, like you is. It doesn't really work as well. But, but you see what I'm saying? So you can say, he who began a good work in yous, in y'all, is faithful. He's going to complete that work. Amen. Amen? It's about all. And in fact, the word that Paul uses in verse 6, I don't want to get too like, bogged down in this, but if you look at the Greek, he uses two words almost everywhere in that passage. He uses all and you as two words. In here, he just uses you, but the way he uses it can be singular and plural. That's really important because this applies both ways. He is faithful to you and he is faithful to use. Amen? So you can take that promise to the bank personally, but it's also perhaps predominantly a promise to a group, a community, a partnership of people, the church. It's a promise to the church. And this isn't unique in scripture. There is a plural you or y'all that we see consistently throughout scripture. I don't want you to think there's Old Testament, New Testament. This is how this works. God speaks to us, speaks to mankind, speaks to his people. In Leviticus, when he's outlining the law to to the Israelites, he's talking to the you being a people. If you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, I will send you rain in its season, and the ground will yield its crops and the trees their fruit. Of course, this applies to you and yous. I will, and this is how we can see that he's talking to yous there. He says, our father, sorry, no. He says, I will walk among you and be your God and you will be my people. So we know that he's talking plurally. Okay. In the New Testament, it, the same is true because it's the same God yesterday, today, forever. Jesus is the same, right? Uh, and so... When Jesus explains to us, like, this is how you pray, he leads with our Father. Not my Father. He can say that, we can say that, but it's our Father. There's a community thing going on here. When we approach God, we approach God as a people. Our Father. God's intention has always been broader than one person or one people group. Always been broader than that. If you look back, God blessed Abraham like one person, but that he would father a great nation, so people. And the idea then is that God says to him, and your people, your nation will be a blessing to all nations. Not a judgment, not a hindrance, not not a criticism, not a killer of all other nations, but a blessing to the nations. God's heart from day one has been to work through individuals to bless yous. That's his heart, that through, every, uh, through that nation, every other people, tribe, and tongue would be blessed. And that it happens. It actually is fulfilled already because that nation produces the line of Judah. The line of Judah runs all the way up to Jesus. And then Jesus comes, and through Jesus, everyone has access to God. The blessing. God so loved the world not the Brits not the Westerners not the people who fit my neat little box and category, not the people with the same skin colour as me but the world think of a person God so loved the world 
that he gave his only son. The Bible is not individualistic. Listen, the Bible is not about me. It's really important that we hear this. The Bible is not about me. It's about God and his people and how he interacts with his people. The hardest lesson that I'm having to learn, and I put that into the present participle, if that's the right phrase. I put that to actively right now. The hardest lesson I'm having to learn and live out is that it's not all about me. Because, guys, we tend to, by default, put ourselves at the center of our own universe. Think about just your thought patterns yesterday. How much were like that and how much were like that? We put ourselves in the center. We put ourselves on the throne of our own lives. How many decisions in the last week have you made where you included God in the decision making? I'm not trying to judge you or make you feel bad or anything like that. I'm not, I'm just pointing out to a person. Our default is to just think it through ourselves, make our own decisions, lead our own life our own way, how we want to do it. And it's a difficulty for us to actually transfer that to God and say, yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Come and have your way in me. Look, individualism and consumerism are like the meta-narratives of our modern society. They're, they're the big story, the overarching story of society. A society that has rejected God and made an idol out of self. And, and like, it, it does affect us. <laughs> it does affect us in the church as well. We are flawed, Okay. But the part of the reason we come together on a Sunday morning, it's not just to sing and like, it's to refocus our attention to God. It's to recalibrate our lives. Like, we can't leave it too long. That's why going to church, that's why Paul or whoever wrote Hebrews says, you know, do not neglect the gathering together as some have got into the habit of doing. The reason is because together as yous, we help each other to lift our eyes from our, our circumstances, our own decisions, our own ways of trying to do things and solve our own problems and actually go, God, you're bigger and I need you. The Bible's not about me. But this is an old, enduring reality from the fall, the self. But the thing is, I think our modern minds are particularly conditioned towards individual, uh, individualization. You know, it, it, it's expressed in like, even in things like the new phone comes out, I've got to have that. I've got to keep up, I've got to keep up, I've got to keep up, new car, whatever it is. Like, or we, we just want to have the good stuff. We want to have the comfortable life, and I'm not criticizing that, and I'm also exactly the same. I mean, Jess and I are looking at our old car and thinking, <laughs> it's not got much legs left in this one. It doesn't have legs, it has wheels, but <laughs> it's like the Flintstones. You know? um, and we're thinking, do we need to get a new car? But it's ridiculous. I want to give that to God and say, okay, Lord, you lead this. You lead this. It's like somebody hoovering. There's only one individual that the Bible highlights and exalts, and that's Jesus. The Bible's not about me, it's about him. It's about Jesus. In fact, the Bible is very, very careful to point out the flaws in every other human being who's ever lived, 
who's mentioned in there. You look at Noah. Yeah, great. You've got the ark. You built that. Well done. You and your family and all these animals. What did that look like? It's crazy. But, you know, yeah, brilliant. You've saved humanity through, through this family. And then Noah goes out and gets plastered afterwards. You know, Abraham. Abraham's going to be the father of all these nations. He has a giggle with his wife when God says, you're going to have a son. Like, Abraham is credited righteousness because of his faith, and yet Abraham is a flawed character. He, he told a lie when he took, Ra- uh, when he took his wife. Rachel, yeah. When, when, he took, <laughs> when he took her to another land, he was like, oh, she's my sister. Just, just you know, I don't want you to see her like my wife because you might kill me. So he lied. Moses, he was scared. He had to have Aaron walk, going with him because he was too scared to speak. David, well, we all know about David and Bathsheba. Peter denies Jesus. Like one minute, yes, I'll go anywhere, I'll do anything with you. And the next minute I'm running away. And no, not me, I'm not related to this guy in any way. The Bible points out the flaws in every other character apart from Jesus. God's narrative does not revolve around me. It does not revolve around you, and that's a good thing, okay? It's a good thing. I do not have special access to God that you don't have also, all right? It doesn't matter how holy, how experienced, how well-behaved somebody is, the access to Father God through Jesus Christ is the same, okay? And it's actually the same access that Jesus had when he walked in flesh. Jesus has the ability to have access to Father God, and so do you, the same access, because of Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that God doesn't love you personally, okay? He does more than you could possibly comprehend, far more than I could possibly let you know in this short preach. And this does not mean that you can't personalize his promises. Okay, the the Bible may not be about me, but it is for me, all right? It's not about me, but it is God's gift to me, to you. That's what the Bible is. It's a gift. It's a treasure. It is for you. I can't read myself into the Bible, but I can read his promises to me out of it, and so can you. But there's more going on because there's a danger of individualizing too far. When we claim his promises, yes, do it absolutely 100%, take it to the bank. But his promises are for you, but they are in the context of community. They're in the context of family. God isn't wanting you to be the special person off on your own. He wants you to be part of a kingdom community of believers. Okay, it's not about me. I'm part of something bigger. So what are the dimensions of partnership? Where are the boundary lines? What are we talking about here? Just how big is partnership? It's bigger than our experience. It's bigger than our expression of church. It is more than this church. Partnership is more than Riverview. It's more than all of the churches in this town, in this county, in this country. It is bigger than all of that. It's even bigger. Partnership is even bigger than all of the churches in this time. In history, partnership in the gospel is bigger 
than every believer around the world at this moment in time. Partnership is bigger than that. There may be hundreds of different denominations. There may be thousands, perhaps. There may be a million different types of song that are sung around the world and have been through history. There are tons of different styles of worship, thousands of languages with which we come to God. And over 2,000 years of history, good or bad, the church has stood through, through trial, through hardship, through persecution, through moral failure, through all this kind of stuff. The church has stood and still stands. So your partnership in the gospel doesn't just go out to everybody who's living and breathing right now. It goes back to Paul. It goes back to Jesus. That's your partnership in the gospel. Billions of souls through the ages have walked this path, asked the same questions that you ask, had the same pains, the same agonies, the same doubts, wrestled with the same kind of personality clashes and sin, the same doctrinal and theological disagreements through history what we wrestle with today we share backwards and we will share forwards as well now whether or not you're partnered with this millennial partnership depends not on where you live not on when you live not on what you look like not on how you sing or what your tradition is but this do you know and follow Jesus Have you encountered and accepted his saving grace? Do you have an actual relationship with Jesus Christ? That is the basis. That's the entry point of our partnership, a relationship with Jesus. Access to Father God through Jesus Christ. Now, you might be scratching your heads because that sounds pretty individual, doesn't it? like a personal relationship. We talk about, you know, do you know Jesus as a personal saviour? Like, if you don't know Jesus personally as a saviour, you don't know Jesus. I don't know how to put that in a nicer way. (laughs) Come and see me if you don't know Jesus personally. I would love to introduce you to him. If you don't know Jesus personally, you don't know Jesus. You can know this. You could learn this like an actor learning lines, the whole lot. I don't know how you'd do that, that'd be incredible. But you can learn all of that word for word. You can recite it, you can put emphasis into it like David Suchet or whatever. But if you don't know Jesus, it's pointless. Absolutely pointless. It is beautifully personal. The God of heaven The glorious Father has heard you, has responded to you, loves you, and calls you a son, a daughter, on account of the Son, his beloved Son, Jesus. Amen? But if we whittle our salvation and our Christianity down to me and my friend Jesus, my private relationship with Jesus, like, I don't talk about it outside of this little box here, there's something really wrong with that. We miss something huge if we condense our Christianity to just me and God. We, we miss out on something huge. Faith in Jesus is not to be lived out in private, but in fellowship, in partnership, in community. You hear? 
that, that is the whole thing here. Yes, it's individual, but it's not individualistic. Okay? Because in Christ, you are no longer your own. I am not my own, but Christ in me. I belong to him. I belong to you. Yeah? That sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? But I belong to Jesus. I belong to you. Graham, I belong to you. Ron, I belong to you. Not just because you pay my wages here. <laughs> so like, yeah, you belong to me. <laughs> Otherwise, I'll stop paying. No, I belong to you because Jesus is in me and I belong to Jesus. I surrender myself to Jesus. I make myself a slave to Jesus. And therefore, how can I not be surrendered to his people as well? You are his and you are mine. Jess and I, when we started going out, we always had this thing that we used to say, and I told her this week, if I die before you, you've got to say this at the funeral. Because <laughs> it's a bit somber, isn't it? I used to sign off the letters, I love you with all my heart. Uh, nice, I was expecting more of it. Oh, no. But then I'd write this line, and this remains true to this day, his first, then yours. I belong to Jesus, and I belong to Jess. I belong to Jesus, I belong to you. Members together of his body. Now, I'm gonna close up in the next few minutes with the durability of the, par uh, the partnership, but look, some people say, I have Jesus, I don't need the church. I don't wanna be offensive, but that's junk. That is the worst statement that has ever been proclaimed. The whole point is that Jesus has called you to be part of something bigger, to be part of, call it a family, call it a community, whatever, but it's the church. That's what he's talking about. It doesn't mean that we have to have this certain building, this certain style of worship or anything like that, but the people that you and me surrender to each other, submit to each other, submitting to him first, that is the church and that is what he has called us to. You cannot take Jesus and not take the church. If you reject the church, like if you reject Jess, how do you think I'm gonna feel about that as her husband? <laughs> I love her. If you reject her, it's as though you're rejecting me, yeah? If I reject the church, who am I rejecting? The church is his bride. Now, perhaps sometimes people reject the church for what seem to be pretty legitimate reasons. Because they're bored, that's not very legitimate, but you know, maybe, maybe yeah, church doesn't really fit like modern ways of doing things. Maybe that's how you feel. And maybe you've been offended. Maybe you've been hurt. That's legitimate. Some of you here today might be carrying pain from another fellowship that you've been at and it's just cut. Some of you have been part of, not part of, but you've been in church splits and the pain of that is horrendous. You, you carry that, it hurts. It hurts because you feel it because you're connected to the church. And if the church starts hurting, you're gonna hurt. Legitimate issues, and yes, the church is flawed. Look, I wanna tell you something today, please don't hate me for this. You're part of that flaw. And so am I. You're, you're part of the floor. If you've got a problem with the church, say, Jesus, is there a problem in me? First and foremost, before anything else, like, God, is there something that you need me to know here? Because yes, the church is flawed, and I'm flawed, and I'm part of the church, so of course the church is going to be flawed. 
you know. But the church is Jesus' bride. It's his delight, it's his treasure. A flawed bride, that's what we are. But she's a bride that the Holy Spirit is preparing. And so the promise is this. He who began a good work in the church will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. God will perfect our partnership. That's the durability. God will complete the work. What does Jesus say? I will build my church. And too often I'm like, hang on, Jesus, I've got an idea. (laughs) Just, you know, hear me out. No, I will build my church. It's a beautiful thing for a pastor to take the pressure off your shoulders and your head because he hasn't said, Tom, come and build Riverview Church. He's not said that to me. Actually, he said, come and shepherd it as an under-shepherd. He's building it. You know, Rachel and Ali, great to have you with us. So glad that you're here. You didn't come here because you're like, oh, you know, Tom's building a church. You, you came here and you settled here because the Holy Spirit was doing something and you've decided to stay here because, I guess, <laughs> I don't want to speak into what you would say. Because you, you feel at home here because you recognize that this church is a, his church. If you're frustrated with church, if you're frustrated with any other believer, or if you're frustrated with yourself, not growing fast enough, not good enough, not mature enough, whatever enough, just hold on. And I'll finish with three quick analogies and then get Ian to come up. Firstly, like if you're looking at the church now, and I'm not just talking about Riverview, I'm talking about around the world. If you're frustrated, you look at the church, and there's a lot of that about, I've heard a lot of people kind of go, oh, the pastors aren't really doing, they're not really on fire enough, or the church isn't really stepping up to the plate enough. Look, he's building the church, okay? If you're frustrated with it, just hold on. Because there will be a day when Jesus returns and you'll see the church as a beautiful bride, and you'll be like, whoa, how did you do that? I didn't even notice. And it's stunning, and it's beautiful, and it's wonderful, and I love it. You know, if you look at a sunflower, a sunflower through the day will kind of move and track the sun through the whole day. But you can't see that happen. I mean, even if you stand there and like, you're not going to perceive it's like watching paint dry, but it's happening. And, and actually what's happening is the flower is always facing the sun. Church, if we are always facing the sun then we're going to arrive at the right destination. Second analogy, if you've got kids or if you've got nephews, nieces or whatever, you, you know how weird it is, particularly if it's kids you haven't seen for a while, uh, and you kind of look at a photo of them from like 10 years ago and go, you've changed, but you don't see that day to day. You know, if I go away for a year and come back and see Ewan, like Ewan won't look quite the same, I still know it's Ewan, but he'll have changed. But Simon and Rona aren't going to see that because it's just happening really slowly in front. So church, we're like a child that is just being grown by Father God. We might not see the change day to day, but we'll look back. We'll look back when we get there and we'll be like, whoa, how far have we come? And I didn't even notice that you were doing it, God. He who began a good work will complete it. And finally, consider how a cake is baked. Like you chuck all the ingredients into the pot, you you mix it up, you chuck it in the oven. Like 
however long later, correct oven temperatures and all that, you pull it out and you've got a beautiful Victoria sponge. Well done, Graham, by the way, you're like a Victoria sponge king. Okay? Now, but what happens, bakers, okay, if you open that oven a bit too early, all right? It just goes whoosh. Or if you try to eat that cake before it's cooked, what is it? It's a big, gloopy, useless mess. And sometimes I think we can look at the church and we can go, it's a big, gloopy mess right now. I can't see how God's going to get anything perfect out of this. Just wait. Because he knows what he's doing. With you and with use. Ian, come up here. And, and Leslie, if you start, that's great. The same one who began will complete, guys. The same one. It doesn't depend upon me. If this church depends upon me, guys, we're stuffed. Absolutely stuffed. I'm getting a clap for that. It's amazing. <laughs> it's his promise that guarantees the durability of partnership. This church is his work. Amen? I will build. stand together I'm going to close with this because there is one important thing to say here his promise is faithful and true but it does not relinquish me from responsibility I can't run around the church, run roughshod over it and behave as I fancy and hurt people and be careless and be slanderous or gossipy. I, I can't do that because every time I do, I'm like slapping the bride of Jesus in the face. His promise does not negate my input. God has a purpose for you and for use. Yes, thank you, Lord. So today, I want you to do two things. I want you to thank God for the church. Wherever it's at, whatever your frustrations are, whatever you think should be more this or less this or more that or less that, thank God for the church. Amen. Thank God for his people. Call out some names. Think of people you don't get on with so easily in church and thank God for them. Say, God, let me see these people as your bride, beautiful, treasured, being perfected. And the other thing is just consider how am I within this millennial partnership? How am I?